Welcome to American Roots Outdoors, your host, Alex Rutledge, in the studio with Redbone Mike Crace. And on the line, we have legendary five-time big buck killing machine. Killed five bucks over 200 inches, and this guy is famous for this famous quote. You ready? Give me a second. Everybody on the line is Stan Pot. Stan, welcome to the show. Hey, it's glad to be here. Alex, love it. You know, I wish we wish we were hunting somewhere together right now. Yes, sir. I know you just recently killed another big one here this past week, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, Brenda and I hunted. We hunted really hard, afternoons only on a fresh pick corn. We hunted 17 days before we shot a big one, but I shot a big six-and-a-half-year-old 10-point, yeah. Can't wait to see it. Well, Stan, you know, I've been chomping at the bit since you, you said I'll be on the show. And, you know, and American Roots is all about the guests and their, their American Roots. What I want to do is the first part of the show, the first segment here, I want to talk about your American Roots, your family roots. Let's talk about your mom and dad and you growing up as a kid. Let's, let's start there. Well, you know, my roots, my dad, my granddad were outdoorsmen. You know, my dad was a was a superintendent general foreman at Eureka Williams in Bloomington, Illinois. That's a big, huge uh, at the time uh, vacuum cleaner, big factory. And my mom was a housewife, but my my dad and my granddad were outdoorsmen. They loved to hunt, they loved to fish, and so it was a natural thing for me. As soon as I was old enough to know anything about what's going on, they started taking me. And I was hooked on it from an early age. From you name it, we did it. So you bird, they bird, they was famous for bird hunting too, wasn't it? And coon hunting, you had coon hounds, didn't you? Yeah, my dad was actually a dog man. I mean, he he had coon hounds, raised coon hounds. Used mm-hmm. to take me when I was little to all them gun and dog auctions that they'd hold mm-hmm. out in the country. All the guys would get together, and you know, then he started raising bird dogs. Mm-hmm. And in central Illinois, when I was growing up, the quail and the and the pheasant hunting was tremendous, and he raised bird dogs. So I got to be part of that for all of my childhood. Well, man, your roots run really deep there in Illinois. You know, people, when you think of Stan Potts, you just think of Stan Potts' giant bucks. This guy kills giant bucks, Redbone. Yeah. You know, a lot of people does not know how Stan was raised. You know, what we're going to do throughout this segment here, too, folks, is talk about Stan, how he grew up, and you're touched on that now, but talk about his lifestyle and what kind of work he done, then leading into the outdoor industry. So, Stan, you grew up farming, hunting, all that. Uh, you love to trap, too. Was you a trapper? Oh, yeah, I was a big-time trapper. That's how Tom Miranda and I got to be really close buddies. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, You know, I was a dry land trapper. I, I trapped fox, coyotes, and cats. I was out in, in Wyoming for a couple of seasons um, running a 150-mile-long trap line wow. hundreds of fox and coyotes and a lot of big bobcats. Um, that's what I did. And I, I really think that that my background as a trapper helped me to develop the instincts that the Lord had given me anyway mm-hmm. in and where to put that trap. And I believe that set location and trapping goes hand-in-hand hand with stand location and deer hunting, and that's got a lot to do with my success. 
Well, I'm going to have to agree with that. And I want to say to all the listeners listening, Mr. Stan Potts is one of my white tone mentors. I have learned a lot about uh, setting the stands in the right locations. And I remember standing out on a hunt one time, and he was saying, Alex, he said, use, I use the analogy of using a, a graph, a fish finder, aerial photos to find these pinch points, to find these areas. You have taught me so much by understanding the situation, putting the, the puzzle together, so to say, of the right areas where you need to intercept to kill these bucks. And, uh, man, you, you figured it out. How, how did you come up with that? Now, now, I know through trapping maybe, but how did you come up with the idea? Well, I just, yeah. you know, when I, when, I, when I get ready to dissect a piece of property, you know, the first thing I'm looking for is an aerial photo. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, you can go to the Soil Conservation Service office in the county that you want to hunt, and you can get an aerial photo of the area that you want to hunt. And aerial photos give you everything. They, they show you where the, where the pinches and the funnels and the creeks and all that is, where the, where the woodlots narrow down in, into a, like an hourglass effect. And it gives you starting points you pinpoint that on that aerial photo or that aerial map. You pinpoint several locations like that, and that gives you a great starting point. Then you go in and you scout those spots, and some of them will turn out to be the very best spots that you thought they'd be. Not all of them, but some of them, and that's how I did it. Wow. What do you think of that, Red? I think that's pretty cool, and, and especially coming from Illinois, because I know there are parts of Illinois, and I grew up in Cahokia, Illinois, along the river, along the Mississippi River, just just east of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But uh, there wasn't a whole lot of big wood areas to hunt. I mean, most of it's cropland and, you know, soybean fields and cornfields. And I understand you, you were familiar with that area. Uh, so, I mean, where you were in central Illinois, was there more woods there? than we have in in Western Illinois? Because Western Illinois wasn't a whole lot where I was from. Actually, Western Illinois as a whole, all of Western Illinois has probably got more rough ground than what I do here in, in Central Illinois. You know, but it doesn't take a lot. You know, there's woodlots and timbers throughout Illinois. And when you go over to Western Illinois, and especially down from St. Louis North, all that, you've got the Mississippi River and the Illinois River. Right. And... Actually, in between those rivers, a lot of people like to refer to that as the Golden Triangle, Mm -hmm. in between the Illinois and the Mississippi. And in my opinion, there is nowhere, I mean nowhere in North America, better for giant whitetails. Question. Stan, we've talked about you growing up as a kid. What kind of work did you do other than trap? Uh, This is going to surprise a lot of people. I already know. But tell the people that's listening what kind of work that you've done before you got into professional hunt, being a professional hunter. Well, I, you know, I worked on the railroad for several years. I was a brakeman conductor, and then I went into sales for the newspaper, the local newspaper, and I was in charge of all the advertising accounts for the big accounts like the car dealers, the grocery stores. You know, I designed their ads, helped them with all their co-op and stuff like that. You know, I have the gift to gab, and, you know, it was easy for me to be in sales, and, you know, I mean, I love people, and I seem to get along with most everybody, and that's what I did until I developed my outdoor career, and 
you know, that kicked off. And then it, I got it to the point to where I could make a good living with endorsements and TV sponsorships and things like that. And I, and I do a lot of personal appearances just like you, Alex. Mm-hmm. And I parlayed all that into a, a great career. This is awesome. Everybody, you're listening to Stan Potts, Mr. Give me a second. The guy that's shot five bucks over 200 inches. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. This is J.J. Lawhorn, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. And Redbone, Stan, still on the line here. People couldn't believe it. Stan, you know, when you again, I'm repeating, when you think Stan Posh, you think big buck killer, pro one. Mm-hmm. Hey, he's a common guy, just like all of us, Redbone. Yeah, and, you know, in the last segment, we were talking about, you know, kind of who Stan Potts is, and uh, I think now would be, you know, a great time to kind of find out how he got involved in the outdoor industry. Exactly. Uh, Stan, what year did you yeah. get involved in the outdoor industry? Where did it start at there? And, and tell us uh, about it. was 20, you know, 20-some years ago, I was I was uh, managing a big, big hunting operation at Heartland Lodge, mm-hmm. and... Um, I met Mark and Terry Drury, and Mark and Terry are the ones that actually got me in front of the camera the first time. Mark had a company called Mad Calls. Mark had his own call line, and a lot of people know that um, Mark's background in turkey hunting. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, maybe today they don't. You know, a lot of people think of Mark as being a big buck killer and, and all their TV and video stuff, but you know... Oh, yeah. As well as I do, and some other people know, Alex, that Mark was was as good as it gets as a turkey hunter and a turkey caller. He was five-time natural voice world champion. <laughs> so, you know, but he, he approached me and asked me if I would be interested. And I had already done a lot of magazine articles and books and things mm-hmm. like that. So I was known as somebody that... that was uh, blessed and lucky enough to shoot some big whitetail bucks in the Midwest. He asked me if I would help him do a, an instructional video called, called Power Calling with a new grunt call that he was coming out with. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And we went out in the woods and set up, him and I and Terry, and they filmed me talking about calling deer and vocalizations and everything. And it was easy for me to do. It was just like the camera wasn't there. It was just them and myself talking and talking trying to explain everything and that's actually how i got my start in the in the video and that was right about the time when video was getting big and tv was starting to kick off well you know you're a natural on camera somebody can ask you a question you've got to answer instantly and what really impresses me about you and and i learned a lot of this from you traveling with you in the seminar circuits etc you can explain something and make someone feel what you're talking about. It's kind of like a, uh, uh, a songwriter, kind of like a singer. If you have a passion when you go to tell a story, and that's why your seminar rooms are jam-packed and standing room only, you're natural. Well, I don't know, I don't know if, if it's a natural, but I will say this. And I appreciate all, all the things that you said about me, Alex. But you know as well as I do, I've been blessed. Yeah. You know, the Lord blessed me yes. 
to be able to do this and find my niche and my calling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have done well, my friend. I know God's looking down and family members, etc. saying, man, Stan Potts it sure has, is, is leaving a legacy for the Potts name through hunting and, and your faith. You know, you're a man of faith, and uh, we're going to talk about that in the upcoming segment. But I want to keep our focus right now on deer hunting. I can talk about faith forever. <laughs> but uh, right now, let's talk about what is one of the most memorable deer hunts. And I want to tell you mine that I know that you did. Then you tell me yours. Could be the same well, one. Can I tell you one? You know, I, it sticks sure out in my mind. What The story of a hunt that impresses me more than any hunt I ever heard that Stan Potts done was you was hunting some government land somewhere in Illinois. And there was this big buck bedded on this government land. You spotted the buck. Redbone, you haven't heard about this. No. Stan Potts belly crawled into bow distance of this booning crop. Was it a booner? Oh, yeah. Belly crawled into a buck bedded down in a bean field or corn field and shot him with his bow. Really? And they had people watching from different sides of the field couldn't believe he did it. Several people watched it happen. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. That was a public hunting area. It was a draw only. And it was a big six-and-a-half-year-old, six-by-six typical <laughs> that I had sheds off of, and I had video of him the previous year. And he was with a doe in heat, and he took her out like big bucks will do. They'll mm-hmm. take them out in the wide open mm-hmm. and bed them down, get them away from the timber and all the other bucks. And he had her out there, and he bred her, and he, they bedded down in this cut cornfield. And I was in my tree stand, and I watched it, and when they bent it down, I got down, and the wind was perfect, and it was fairly windy, and it had been raining earlier. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of quiet, and I belly crawled all the way out there and slipped right up on him about 20 yards and shot him in his bed. He was slightly <laughs> With a bow. With him. a bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there, there just happened to be two guys from Oklahoma that had drawn into that area in Illinois. And they were in tree stands across on the other side of the field, and they watched me do it. They watched the whole thing, you know, and they thought I was crazy at first when I kept getting closer and closer and closer, <laughs> you know. And then when I shot, the deer jumped up. Well, they were they were far enough away. They couldn't tell, and the deer takes off running, you know, and they didn't know whether I hit him or not. And of course, he only ran about 75 yards and done the chicken, and down he went. <laughs> I got to say this, back to referencing to his knowledge of where to set up stands. The famous deer, one of the 200 you killed, was like a 226, 229 in Illinois, next to a shooting lane, Redbone. A shooting range, not shooting lane, shooting range, trap. He took me to the stand. He goes, I'm going to show you where I killed this 220. I said, okay. I think, oh, man, I'm in heaven. I'm with Stan Potts, and I'm going to get to see where he killed the 220. Man, there ain't many people can say they've done this. So he says, you see this swag in the road? I said, yeah. He goes, walk with me. So we get we walk down there, not over 100 yards off the road <laughs> is this tree stand. You can see the road. Huh. And I thought, how did he do that? I think we give deer too much credit sometimes, but. How close was this stand to the shooting house or, or shooting range? Fifty yards from one of the one of the sporting plays. <laughs> you know, Fifty yards. 
You know, but the thing of it is, they go around that shoot, and that shooting doesn't bother them. They know that. He's grown up around that place, and, and it was a perfect pinch to go around that, that sporting clay range mm-hmm. and pinched him right down, and it was absolutely perfect for a south wind. And when I found that spot, I knew that buck was there, mm-hmm. that big non-typical. And I told Brenda, she was with me, when I found that tree, and the way it was situated and stuff, in conjunction with that sporting clay range, I told her right then, I said, I'll shoot him right here. In November, when he's on his feet looking for does, mm-hmm. he is in serious, serious trouble. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like Give and me a was. second! And I, and I shot him the first time I saw him. The first set wow. you went in and killed him. First time you went in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's November amazing. November the ninth, and I was actually... Pat Reeve and I was actually in Wisconsin hunting with a good friend of mine, and you knew him well, yep. Larry Huffman. Oh, yeah. We was up on his place, and I was hunting there, and Greg Miller called me. He was hunting my place down in Illinois, and he said, hey, I seen that big giant buck cruising this morning, and he went right down in that big draw where you got that stand over there by the sporting clay range. I packed my bags, and we were gone within the hour. (laughs) And we drove to Illinois because on November the 9th, when a big buck like that is on the move without Mm -hmm. a doe, Mm -hmm. you know he's without a doe right then, and that won't last over a couple of days at the most till he finds one. And I thought I had a perfect opportunity to get him killed, and we packed our bags, and we drove back to Illinois, and I killed him the next morning. Wow. There you have it. Amazing story, folks. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. And Redbone, Stan is on the line. What a story on that big 220-plus buck, Stan. That, that, well, that is an amazing story. And, and, you know, it reminds me of a story that I read every year. Before, deer, before gun season, there was a magazine that I got probably 30 years ago. It had a story about a group of hunters that were hunting in a cabin, and it's in, uh, I believe it's in Montana. I think is where it's at. Mm-hmm. But they were hiking from this cabin a mile, two miles, mm-hmm. three miles away to deer hunt, and they weren't having much luck. And uh, again, this is 30 years ago. And one of the guys decided not to go hunt one morning and stay at the cabin, chop wood, get some groceries together, and just kind of spend the day doing stuff that needed to be done. And he looked out the window while he's doing his chores, and there's a big ten point that's bedded down out by the shed about 100 yards from the cabin. <laughs> and he goes and kills it. And, and Stan, it's kind of the same kind of story, and that is the big buck, he went away from the pressure. He said, these people go out, well, I'm coming in, when they vacate the area. And it's kind of the same story you're talking about with this buck near the shooting uh, the shooting houses where they're shooting the clay that targets. Mm-hmm. He knew that those people that were there shooting the clay targets, they weren't going to shoot him. Yeah, they know that when they get to be when they get to be five, six, seven years old, they know where the pressure is and they know where the pressure isn't, and they find those places. They love to lay right out behind the barn. Oh yeah, they do. They know where, and they'll bed close to people's houses. I got a comment for you. That I want to give you a comment, then question. My comment is my thoughts on these big mature deer stand. It, from my observations, and I spent two to three hours a day glassing and watching deer ever since uh, the 1st of October. Uh, you learn a lot by watching deer. A lot of your bigger, mature deer do not travel much at all until the rut. 
Would you agree or disagree? That's my question. I agree 100%. They don't. A big, mature whitetail has a, a relatively small home core area until the rut. I mean, they live out their life other than during the rut. They live their life in a in a fairly, you know, a mile or two square, and that's it. But during the rut, they have mm-hmm. several square miles mm-hmm. that they travel looking for does. So, so we, we, we agree, and I knew you would. The bucks that actually that come onto my property is bucks during the rut, is bucks that my neighbors around me that are raising. And the bucks that I raise on my farm are going to my neighbor's property. That's right. They, I, they do that, Alex. Go ahead. Go ahead, Stan. They do that, and the, and the but they will always come back to that home core area when the rut's over. You know, and what, the only thing that'll drive a big buck out of a home core area is is something changing. You know, too much pressure or whatever. But that's what those that's what those big bucks do. And when people realize that, they have a better chance when when you're setting up and you're going to hunt during the rut, which is right now, mm-hmm. from now until mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. When you're going to hunt during the rut, you need to set yourself up between the bedding areas and the food sources, in the pinches and the funnels, the creek crossings, and spend the time mm-hmm. in the tree. Everybody, you're listening to Stan Potts, Mr. Give Me a Second, that's killed five bucks over 200 inches with a bow. Yeah, Stan, what's, guy- the, what's the biggest buck you've ever killed? Well, I've got a 220 class non-typical, and I've got a typical that grosses 212 that nets 196. Both killed in Illinois? Um, yes, and then I've got a, a, a big 200-plus uh, deer from uh, Kentucky and one from Ohio and then another from Illinois. And you, these are all fair chase, folks. These aren't high-fence deer. These are deer that Stan Potts figured out from his past experiences and, and things that he had learned as a kid growing up trapping. And uh, this guy's a killer. You know, I learned a lot of my stuff, Redbone, from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said this several times, where to hang my stands and how to set up, you know, decoy. Stan and I shared knowledge with each other on decoy and Greg Miller. Learned a lot from Greg Miller. Uh, you know, I think something we could share to our listeners, and they think, well, how does he do that every year? It's because you're dedicated. Elaborate on dedication, if you don't mind, Stan. Well, I'm, you know, dedication is 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 hard work, is what it means. Mm-hmm. You you got to you got to want it, and then you got to put forth the effort to do it. You got to cross all the T's and dot all the I's, and you got to go early and you got to stay late. You get out of something what you're willing to put in it. You know. Everybody, one time or another, can get lucky. But you show me somebody that consistently mm-hmm. shoots five, six, and seven-year-old whitetails in the wild, mm-hmm. I'll show you somebody that puts in the work. There you go. And and you're blessed. Blessed by God, too, to have the knowledge and, and to how to put this whole puzzle together to find these big deer and how to close the deal on them. You know, we have a lot of listeners right now across the country that listen to our radio show and our podcast. Uh, 
What advice have you got to anybody out there that's not being successful? One is dedication, I know. Two is... Yeah, you got... Go ahead. Yeah, well, you you got to be dedicated, and then you got to know that these big, mature whitetails are the lowest percentage of the herd no matter where you're at. So you're not going to see them all the time. But if you make it, if you make up in your mind that those are the kind of deer you want to shoot, big, mature bucks, then you got to stick with it and you got to settle for nothing less and stay after it and it will happen. But you got to pick the places. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a lot of people over the years say, well, you know, you couldn't do that in my area. You got the best area or you got great spots to hunt. Well, the best way to kill big, giant bucks is to find the best place to hunt. There you go. And that's, that's what you have to do. You have to research it. You have to find the best place. And then you have to be dedicated and put the work in, and it will happen. Yeah, being scent free is a big plus of it, too, when you're scouting and also hunting and not going in the wrong times of the day to pull camera cars or to walking through their bedding areas, etc. That's some of the stuff Stan's talking about, Redbone. Yeah, and, and you know, guys, deer hunting and, and turkey hunting and fishing and all the outdoor sports are just like any other sport. And Stan, I think, says the best when you only get into it or you only get out of it what you put into it. If you're playing baseball or you're playing basketball or you're playing football or hockey or soccer or any other sport, you're only going to get as good at it as you are willing to spend the time to make yourself good at it. And and I think it just goes hand in hand. Absolutely, guys. I mean, there's a reason why Michael Jordan was the best, because he was the first one in the gym and the last one to leave. There's a reason why Tom Brady is the best ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that have better physical skills, but he's the first one there and the last one to leave. And that's what it takes. Exactly. Exactly. I want to say this, and we're going to wrap it up one minute. I'm going to share a quick story. Do you remember you and I hanging a tree stand in Illinois? And this yeah, tree, this remember, tree was remember, straight up, and you. I talk- remember a lot of things about you. Oh, <laughs> don't tell them all. And I remember a lot about you, but I remember us getting up in this tree, and we was up twenty five feet or so, and we was using these suicide belts. And by the way, I need you to get me another one. I'll send you the money. I got to get another one of them. But anyway, we got up there, and there's no limbs to hang on or anything. He don't use limbs or nothing. He'll hang in a dead open tree, but the tree's got to be big yeah. to block his body. But I was scared to death. I'll never forget him laughing at me. <laughs> what, did you oh. kill a deer? <laughs> did you laugh at me, Bob? Hey, folks, I'm telling you that. <laughs> we got up in that tree, and there wasn't any limbs. And I didn't realize Alec was real skittish about heights. Oh. When we got up there, I mean, he was trying his darndest to not be a little bit wimpy. Yeah. But he was having a tough time on it. <laughs> and when he got up there in that stand... I could see terror on his face, and his legs were shaking. <laughs> he didn't like that. I he didn't, didn't like that tree that was like a telephone pole up there, 20, 25 feet, <laughs> hanging out there with no limbs around him. But he got through it. I got through it, but I'll never forget it. Stan, I want to thank you for being on the show, man, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with all of us. And, uh, man, we want to follow you in North American White Tail. You watch him every week, everybody there. Also, how can they get in contact with you? I know they can't get a hold of you because you're, you're hunting. Well, they can they can see me every week on North American Whitetail and on my show, Whitetail Explorer. They can reach out on Facebook, on my Facebook page, and, you know, I'm, I'm out there all the time. So 
You know, but I want to take this time to wish everybody out there all the luck, and I hope they all shoot a big deer this this year. And right now, folks, in the Midwest, you better be out there because it's (laughs) happening. There you have it, Stan Potts, the Mr. Give me a second. I love you, brother, and look forward to having you on more shows. We're going to wrap her up here and go to another segment. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Mike, where did you get the American Roots Outdoors hat and shirt? Those are cool. Well, I got them online, believe it or not, and you can too. Anybody could if they're online. Absolutely. It's not a big deal. www.americanrootsoutdoors.com Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends in the studio. Man, what a great show we have at Stan Potts. What a man that knows whitetail. Probably knows more about whitetail hunting than, and probably has forgot more about whitetail hunting than most people ever know. Yeah, just a great guy, and he loves the Lord, and uh, man, the knowledge he shared with us during that show and these segments is just powerful. People can learn from him. He's going to be on our shows again. Yeah, absolutely. Good guy. Yeah. In the studio, we we call this last segment of our show, uh, this particular show, uh, good deeds being done in your communities. Yeah. We talked about last week on our show, and this week we've got him in the studio, Mr. Warren Bland. Welcome to the show, Warren. Hi. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. You, you're. How long have you been at Town & Country, Super Town & Country in Donovan, Missouri? Uh, next month will be 31 years. I came the mo- Monday after deer season. Yep. Wow. 31 years. And how many years now? We're talking about good deeds for the community. This guy's had a... Super Talent Country Big Buck Contest for going on how many years? This year will be fourteenth year. Uh, twenty eight. This year will make twenty eight rifles. Wow! If you listen to the show last week, we're probably going to repeat some of the things we talked about last week, but some new stuff too. I didn't get to ask you, but I want to talk about the roots side of what inspired you to do this Big Buck Contest. Well, as a kid growing up, I always went to the check stations and always watched and of course i've hunted all my life and and uh, i love taking the kids this youth hunt hunting with my boy and 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 i just kind of wanted to do more for the kids and and with the graces of my bosses you know let me come on with it and and uh, i just put it together and every year i just keep on trying to do it so the purpose of you doing this is to inspire others to come to the sport of hunting, deer hunting. Yes, and you know I, I've always pushed the kids to get entered. You know, in the store, and some of them are just hopped up. You know, and sitting and watching. You know, when we judge these kids and their deer uh, that last night between six and eight, they are just pumped up. I don't care whether it's a spike or what. Uh, they're just excited. That's what it's all about. You know, you touched on something yeah. there. You were at Redbone. He said when he was a kid, he couldn't wait to go to the check station to sit and watch. Yeah. Well, we've and talked about that many times. Many times. We hope MDC's listening. <laughs> People want to get back to that. They're going to get mad at me for, for keep pushing this. But I'm telling you, I really think that if we have check stations back again, you're going to see the sport of hunting get fired up again. 
you're going to see it fired up for for kids that want to be a part of this. Yeah, and and you know they might find that out this year. And, and next week, uh, we're going to have a member of MDC with us for a segment to talk about what you've got to do with your deer uh, when you kill one opening weekend of the gun season because you've got to have it in some counties. You've got to have it checked for CWD. It's mandatory. And they're going to find out these guys are going to gather bringing their deer in. They get them checked, and it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of people's going to be standing around watching because they want to see all these deer that's see all killed. the deer and the deer heads. And, and I think that's the same thing. I think that's what Warren's got going because I'm sure you probably have people just hanging around the store Waiting on kids to bring me in. We, I mean, it's a big night. I you bet know, it is. Uh, the parents, the grandparents, come with the kids. They bring their just horns in. They bring their whole <laughs> head in plastic bags. They bring the deer in the back of the truck, <laughs> and everybody just runs Some from deer to deer. Some of them need to strap on the hood of the truck, a car. I mean, these are sitting in my deli, and I mean, at my tables, <laughs> we have a whole room full of people. So you, you ever, got coffee for everybody in? We have everything. You know, you everybody, everybody bring eating. one in in the back of a Pinto station wagon. No, they haven't done that. Yes. Have you seen them strapped across the car hood? No, but across dog boxes and all <laughs> in the back of the trucks and, you know, in trunks. Oh, sure. I first year I ever killed, I, I carried it out of the woods in the back end of a, a Ford Pinto station wagon. I remember yeah. my brother had a bagel one time, and he would, <laughs> he would go, he killed a deer, and he'd have them through across the hood of the car. I remember my dad doing it, too, take them to the check station so everybody could see the deer. You yeah, know? It's, it's a spiritual thing. Would you agree? Oh, Austin yeah. And I mean, it's a good. Spiritual I mean, it just thing. causes excitement, you know, with everybody. And, you know, people love to see that because it's not out there anymore. You know, I know they have them on the phones and and Facebook and all that, but it's, it's not, not the, same. the same. Not the same as grabbing a hold of that thing and and oh no, looking at it and turning no. it. No, you know, and I've got pictures all the way from the very first buck ever killed. Every winter, every newspaper, every clipping I've got, I've got wow. it there on the table for people to look at. Have you ever had a repeat winner? Not in the youth. Okay, not in the youth. Um, this little girl that won last year, she turned 15 last year. She had entered every year since she was six <laughs> and placed a few times, you know, mm -hmm. in there, brought bucks in. But last year, she killed a nice 10 and brought it in and ended up winning. I was really tickled for her being her little last girl. year to be in the youth. Wow. Let me ask you this question. So this event you're having, the Big Buck Contest at Super Talent Country, and it says all entries must be in before season begins. $10 entry fee. Contest will begin as follows. Youth season, November 2nd through November the 3rd. Judging will begin November 3rd at 6 o'clock p.m. till 8 o'clock p.m. Regular gun season, November 16th to November 26th. Judging will begin November 26th at 6 o'clock p.m. till 8 o'clock p.m. So, the way I understand this is that if they kill a deer during that time frame of November 26 to 8 p.m., 6 to 8 p.m., they've got to save their antlers? Save their, they just bring their antlers, or some of them has killed it early, skinned it out, caped it out, got it in a plastic bag, froze or fresh, bring it in, and we judge it from there. They just bring them in my store, and we go from that. So, so all the deer come in for, like, the the regular hunt. They all come in the same night. Yes. 
everything. Okay. What is the largest uh, amount of entrance you've had in one year? Mm, last year, I think I had just a little over 200. Wow. 200. What do you do with the $10 per person? What do you do with the money that you raise? It helps pay for the guns. I buy tree stands. I buy blinds. I help. I buy lots of other small stuff. I, of course, I sell lots of hunting stuff at my store. Sure. You know, and, and hint, I, hint. I sell it. Do you sell any American Roots stuff in there yet? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but we may. That'll be good. That'll be good. So you're a member of the NWTF. You're on the. You have a chapter. Yes. Talk about that. Yes, Southern Longbeards. Southern Longbeards. And I also cater the one at uh, Winona. Yeah, I spoke at uh, Winona and yours before. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I speak at a lot of banquets. Uh, yep. I miss speaking at your I, banquet. I do those two banquets every year. This year, I even went, my store, uh, myself doing it, I went to Eminence and done the Elk Banquet. I think the first one we done, I was at your first banquet I spoke. Yes, and we you were. had a crowd. Yeah, we usually have a pretty good crowd. Uh, hope to do it again, but not sure, you know. Yeah. The volunteers is hard to get yeah. nowadays. The, yeah, NWTF, uh, don't mean to get off on that subject in a bad way or anything, but it, it's changed. Yeah. It's changed. But we want to encourage everybody to support NRA, NWTF, QDMA, Whitetails Unlimited, all these organizations, because your contribution, your your membership helps fight for our rights as gun owners, but also as outdoors people, outdoors huh? men and women. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. You know, I, I try to back as much as I can, you know, because yeah. without people doing that, uh, you know, the hunters eventually go away. There you have it, folks. Warm Bland, super town and country. If you want to enter this big buck contest, you need to get down into town and country, pay your entry fees before you hunt. You uh, you guys are liable to win a gun, hunting blinds, all kinds of stuff. We donated stuff from Hornady and American Roots to you guys just now. And, and I appreciate I, it. Well, we, we appreciate you, what you're doing to get more people and these kids involved in the outdoors. Everybody, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. And remember this, when your roots are deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do, American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station.